Welcome to the podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Area Church at First Parish in Sherborne. No matter who you are, who you love, we welcome you into our community of religious seekers. Please join us for our Sunday worship services at 10.30 a.m. More information can be found on our website at uuac.org or visit our Facebook page at Sherborne Unitarian Universalist. The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So it is early February of this past year, right at the beginning of my sabbatical, and I am struggling. I call my sister. I think I need a mental health intervention, I say. Over the phone, I hear her go into high alert mode. Uh... Our family has felt the tragic effects of untreated mental illness before. No, 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 I assure her. Not like that. I'm just, I'm so dysregulated, I can't seem to get back on track. Can you help me make a list of things that I need to do for the rest of the afternoon, and then will you call me back when the kids go to bed? We both have so many words, so many tools from so many years of therapy. Okay, she says, what are you needing? Well, I'm leaving for a walk right now while I talk to you. And then I really need lunch. I'll call my best friend, email my therapist to see if she has an open appointment this week, journal, watch some distracting TV, order takeout. How many times is too many times to order takeout in one week? I wonder aloud with some amount of self-judgment creeping in. There is no upper limit in moments like these, she reassures me. We make a plan to check back in later and hang up. I'm still on the verge of tears or panic or both, but I'm on a brisk walk and I try to notice what's around me. Deep breaths. The sun is bright. The air is crisp. I have a plan for the rest of the day. Take care of basic needs, distract, process. I'll get through this. Our mom is in the hospital with a mysterious heart condition, which ends up being a one-off but very scary incident. I have rushed out to stay at her house and take care of her animals, and I find myself isolated in my childhood home in a pandemic winter hellscape while we wait on edge to hear if she's going to be okay. I have just started my sabbatical, and I have so much time to think, to be alone. Too much time, really. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Suddenly, it all comes crashing in and hits me all at once. The pandemic, the isolation, the past grief and trauma that this pandemic has stirred up for me. I finally have a moment to breathe, to catch my breath, 
And most of all, with all of this time to think and feel, I am starting to come to terms with the fact that my partnership of 10 years ended earlier that fall, about a year ago now. In retrospect, it all makes a lot of sense. The feelings of being trapped, of my world narrowing, of being alone. The grief, the loss, the anxiety, the worry, the pandemic, the end of my relationship. A lot has happened. But I knew even in that moment that my brain was distorting what it all meant. This is not new to me. I have a brain that is not always kind to me. It tells me things that when I am in a grounded and healthy place, I know are not true. But sometimes my brain likes to make up wild stories. It sees the isolation and aloneness of, say, being in a global pandemic, quarantining to get a COVID test at my mom's house so I can take care of her when she gets out of the hospital. It takes that fact and it somehow twists it into a story along the lines of, no one loves you. You will always be alone. This is how it will always feel. Do your brains ever do this to you? Feelings are real, but they don't always tell the truth. These are words that I say to myself from time to time when I feel like my feelings are disproportionate to what is happening in front of me, or my brain is distorting the truth. My feelings are very real. I am experiencing real suffering but they don't always reflect the facts. The facts are that there are so many people in my life who love me, that each situation is temporary, that the pandemic has been a setup to sabotage my mental health and perhaps yours too. And I try to remind myself compassionately that there may be a gap between what my brain is telling me and what is actually happening. I have been here before, the spiral of anxiety and self-doubt and depression. Sometimes it has been in response to a very understandable situation, and other times it's just snuck up on me, surprised me, no known cause. Still having been here many times in my life before, this spring it takes me almost six weeks to recognize the familiar spiral for what it is, adjust my medication, move my twice-monthly therapy back to weekly, medication and therapy have pulled me out of this downward spiral more than once. And as an aside, I cannot say enough good things about therapy. The tools that I've gotten in therapy have just, they have made me a better person, a better minister, sister, partner, friend. 10 out of 10 stars would recommend. I know that I am not alone in struggling with my mental health in these last 20 months. Gosh, if you have struggled in the past 20 months, you are so not alone. The National Institute of Mental Health, which is part of the NIH, reports that during the pandemic, two out of five adults in the US reported symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorders, substance abuse, trauma-related disorders, or suicidal ideation. And that is nearly double the pre-pandemic rates. And it is so understandable. For some of us, our regular routines and practices that support our mental health may have significantly been disrupted during the pandemic. For some of us, these difficult times might be bringing up old grief or trauma or reactivating things we haven't thought about in years. For many of us, the increased isolation has increased loneliness and depression. Some of us may feel like we've exhausted all of the coping mechanisms that we have. 
Others of us may feel outraged or hopeless or overwhelmed by the world or numb to it. Some of us may be drinking or using more drugs than we ever have. Some of us may be sleeping worse than we usually do. And it just hasn't let up. Most disasters, most crises are an immediate singular moment, and then the recovery is able to begin. 9-11, the Boston Marathon bombings, bombing, hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, they have one moment, and then the recovery begins. But this, in contrast, has been a slow-rolling crisis. It has been so long, and it's still going on. We're still in it. And some of us may feel like the rug has been pulled out from under us, first with our worlds flipped upside down in March of 2020, and then again this summer as many of us got vaccinations and thought that it would allow us to reopen, and then the Delta variant changed the landscape entirely. And some of us may feel that we have shorter fuses these days or are struggling to find compassion with people who have different views from ours, especially with things related to the pandemic. Others of us who have kids under 12 may feel like the world has reopened and we've been left behind, feeling abandoned and anxious about how to navigate a world with unvaccinated children. Some of us may be worrying about the mental health of kids in our lives, or we may know young people who are struggling with anxiety of returning to in-person things after a year of not socializing. Some of us here may be those young people who are struggling. Others of us may feel like our life is on pause. Our ability to make plans, to anticipate joyful events in the future is less accessible now. Some of us may be worn thin by the uncertainty of how the future will be, and others of us may simply feel like we are languishing, a feeling that the New York Times described as a sense of stagnation and emptiness, somewhat joyless and aimless, not flourishing, not depressed, just languishing. And others of us may feel like we are thriving right now. And if that is true for you, I am truly deeply happy that that is the case. This may not be the sermon that you need to hear for yourself right now, but it may be the sermon that you need to hear for a friend, a neighbor, a partner. Let this sermon be an invitation to reach out to a loved one who may be struggling to deepen your compassion and understanding of those who struggle with their mental health. Friends, it can be so, so hard to talk about mental health. I even worried in writing this sermon that it would be too, well, depressing. And I know that there are some of us who are just really done hearing about how hard things are right now, and others of us who really need your ministers to tell the truth about how much people are struggling right now. Both of these are very understandable and very valid ways that people are coping. And this is so important. Do you remember right before the start of the pandemic, our church put up an installation bringing awareness to the mental health struggles of people in our community? We had just barely put it up when the pandemic hit. We didn't really get a chance to celebrate it and leave it up because we all closed down. But I was remembering that this week and remembering that we have always known that mental health is too important not to talk about. We live in a culture that has stigmatized mental illness and talking about mental health in a way that we would never stigmatize any other kind of health care. 
as though our brains are not also a part of our bodies, and as though our mental health is not part of our health as a whole. Many of you remember, because you were here with me in that horrible time, in January of 2018, almost four years ago, when my dad took his own life. My dad was a soft-spoken and gentle engineer. He grew up in an era where talking about feelings, specifically as a man, was to admit weakness. And he denied that he was struggling for so long in an effort to portray an image to the world. He wouldn't talk about it with his doctors or his family or his friends. And though he was so deeply compassionate with others, including his loved ones who struggle with their mental health and their substance use, it was still shameful in his mind to struggle with his own mental health. And I share this because while I understand it, and while I have felt that stigma myself, I know all too well that shame can be deadly, and that stigma around talking about mental health can be deadly. And there is no shame in struggling. There is no shame in asking for help. Asking for help is one of the most courageous things you can do when you are struggling. As your ministers, both Reverend Nathan and I have noticed that more of you have shared with us about your mental health struggles lately. We've noticed anecdotally at least that many of you are struggling that many of you are concerned for kids and teens in your life. And we see you. We want to reflect back to you. You are not alone. This is really, really hard. Researchers Emily and Amelia Nagoski say that all feelings are like a tunnel, that in order to complete what they describe as the stress cycle, we have to go all the way through the tunnel to avoid the buildup of stress hormones in our body. We have to feel our feelings in order to move through them. And then we have to do something to signal to our bodies that the feeling has passed. Physical activity, breathing, laughter, positive social interaction, physical affection, all can help us move through our feelings and complete the stress cycle. But first, we have to feel our feelings really feel them in order to move through them. And it can be so, so painful to really feel our feelings, especially when they are the hard or uncomfortable ones. But you don't have to do it alone. And while there is no magic cure, and there is no magic pill, there are things that can help, and more so, there are people who can help. We know that access to mental health care can be so tricky, especially right now, but we also want to say, if you don't know where to start, you can always reach out to me, to Reverend Nathan, to Jason. Friends, I believe that we, as a UUAC community, I believe that we are a community that can help hold the reality of the struggles of one another's lives, including our mental health struggles. I believe that we are a community that can bear witness to the suffering that we experience, even if that suffering exists mostly in our own minds, because we know that that suffering is real too. I believe that we are a community where we can be real with one another, 
I believe that we are a community where we can be brave with one another. I believe that we are a community where we can remind each other that we are not alone. And most importantly, I believe that we are a community that can talk about mental health and remind one another that mental health is real, it is important, and it is not something that we need to feel shame around. Beloved, may we be for one another, a community where we can bring our whole selves, even the parts of us that feel broken. May we hold hope for one another when hope is hard to find. And when, may we hold each other with care, reminding one another always, you are not alone. May it be so, and amen.